Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Huello. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. We are so grateful you have chosen to spend some time with us today. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't already, and consider reviewing this podcast on iTunes and sharing it with your friends and family. It really does help. Hello and good afternoon. I <laughs> I don't even know how to talk to you today. I don't. The story I have to tell you is some macabre, so strange, so deviant, I honestly don't know where to begin. I guess the beginning, as they say, is the best place to start. You know, I always find something I'm looking for in the last place I look. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) Me too. So maybe we'll start at the beginning and we'll find our way through, huh? How's that sound? Okay. It started when I got a phone call from Europe. It did. A dear friend of mine in Germany gave me a phone call. They were having quite the problem in their city and in the countryside. Someone was mutilating horses. And sadly, when I say mutilating them, he was, for all intents and purposes, a serial killer bent on killing not humans, at least as far as we knew, but harming poor, innocent, beautiful horses. Now, the horse was a common animal in the 19th century when people used them as their primary mode of travel, but as the 20th century came along, the automobile replaced them. Owning and caring and nurturing horses became more of a specialty among farmers and ranchers and horse groomers. The breeding of horses was tightly regulated to produce the fastest thoroughbreds possible. And people invested a lot of money and time and care into their animals. And they were treated like children, sometimes. Treated like gold, if I dare say. I went immediately and got my passport and talked to my superiors and they agreed that I should go and investigate what's going on in Germany. So I flew first to London and then to Berlin. Berlin was the easiest place to land in and then I took a train to where I had to go, deep, deep into the dark areas of Bavaria. It was in Bavaria, I felt like I I 
traveled through time. It felt like I was back in that 19th century again. Farms, crops, people on horseback, men driving carriages, young children riding horses down the street. It was a beautiful area of the world. I think sometimes we forget how beautiful the compact country of Germany, France, and Italy really truly are. So much culture, so much language, so much diversity. They they think they're all the same. They all speak German, and they all think that they're alike uh, through nationalism and being all one people. But in reality, they're as diverse and different as we are here in the United States with our southern bells and our northern Yankees and our cowboys out west. Bavaria is a proud, proud area of Deutschland. That's how you say it in German, Deutschland. And Germany is united after the fall of the wall in the late 1980s and the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. And the people grew together so quickly, so seamlessly. It was amazing to see the transformation, a whole generation changing the world in literally the blink of an eye. That was my generation. My generation stopped the troubles in Ireland. My generation stopped the wall in Berlin. Unified Germany brought peace to Europe. My generation tries its best to push the world forward, even though those ahead of us want to push us down a dark an ugly path. There are people in my generation, though, who have chosen not to be builders and communicators and unifiers. They've chosen to be villains, evil as Moriarty himself. And I will never, ever compare myself to Sherlock Holmes. I couldn't step a foot in that man's shoes. But I will say one thing. I do know a Moriarty when I see one, and I know how to handle them. And how you deal with them. You see, Moriarty's and people like them, him, are creatures of habit. <clears throat> and once, <clears throat> excuse me, once he got a taste for the destruction that he was doing to these poor, defenseless animals, once he got a taste for the exhilaration of harming an innocent creature like this, once he got past the revulsion of the act and into the joy of hearing the animal scream in agony, the pain, the control it gave him. The euphoria swept over him. How he enjoyed suppressing his own carnal desires, his own 
weaknesses, his own perceived inner demons by putting them on an innocent creature, a helpless animal, making it scream. It brought him some form of gratification. I won't get that graphic, but we all know that this creature of habit was a deviant mind, a sick mind, someone who needed help. I do not justify his actions or excuse him or exonerate him. He could never, in my eyes, in the eyes of man, pay enough of a penalty for harming an innocent creature such as a horse any more than torturing frogs and mice. It really doesn't matter what you choose to harm. It matters that you harmed it. That you, in an instant of anger, frustration, desire, played God. You took it upon yourself to harm a creature that couldn't fight back. Now, there are those of you who know that a horse is not completely defenseless, but in a stall, resting for the night, not expecting a violent attack. A horse is a totally defenseless animal. And this man knew what he was doing. He brought a long, sharpened knife with him to do the deed. He was called the Horse Slasher, the Horse Ripper. You could look him up in the papers. There was one in England. A friend of mine helped bring him to justice. I asked him for advice, and uh, we had a conference call on the way over to Berlin. I would have liked to have stopped in London and spent some time with him, but time was of the essence. Over forty animals had been injured to this point, and like an arsonist wanting to step up his game to killing humans, they were afraid that this person would make a leap from harming innocent, innocent horses to killing and injuring human beings and taking lives on a grand scale. They didn't know anything about him. They could not find a trace of evidence. The knife was more than likely a simple butcher knife, something he pulled out of the kitchen. They weren't awkward cuts. He got better at it as he went along. He learned how to cause the maximum amount of damage. There was a pattern and a growth to his attacks. And he seemed set upon causing the animal great pain. He didn't outright kill the animal. The idea of the attack was to cause pain, anguish, make the animal slowly bleed out. Now, I know this is hard to listen to. I know. And it's not easy to hear these words. But you must understand what we're dealing with here. The idea was 
to cause the animal the most excruciating pain as it slowly bled out until it was unable to stand and it collapsed in its stall. A pure death sentence to a horse. The animals were usually found when it was too late to offer aid and assistance and they had to be put down. Many horses died. It was grisly, to say the least, and as I said, there was little evidence. But there was one strange, odd behavior that accompanied these attacks. It was clear that whoever was doing this was jumping into a pile of nearby manure. Now I know you think I'm just telling you this to make it funny that I'm segueing into a com comedy section of the video but I assure you I am dead serious. It was clear through impressions of hand marks, footprints, and body prints that this person was jumping literally into a pile of horse manure. Was it some kind of deviant sexual behavior? Some kind of sexual gratification from rolling around in fecal matter? The drive to cover himself with fecal matter and relieve himself was some kind of sexual desire that he could, some kind of compulsion that he couldn't resist. And then why the attack on the horses? Why would you attack the horses that provided you your sexual gratification? Was it because you were embarrassed, ashamed of yourself? We had to get to the bottom of it. We had to figure it out. My friend and I and two local officers joined what I can only say is a posse of ranchers willing and ready to kill this attacker at a moment's notice to defend their property and their livelihood. He'd caused great damage and great expense to many farmers in the area. And they were ready to take justice into their own hands. We met in a small bed and breakfast and as we ate a meal, and I listened to all of the farmers in attendance, my friend interpreting that which I could not understand, it's amazing the difference between high German that I learned in school and the dialect that I was hearing now in Bavaria. It was so close, the words are so close, but in quick speech, I was unable to pick up the words from the dialect and properly interpret them myself without assistance, and especially the fact that I didn't want to miss out on details. I took copious notes. It was very important that we took every detail into account, and the accounts that I heard and recorded we compared to my friend and the police who had investigated prior. The idea was we need a fresh set of eyes. The police in the area of Bavaria my friend alone, were more than capable of capturing 
this individual. But the reason he was evading capture was he knew the lay of the land. He knew the ranches. He knew the area too well. He knew how to avoid leaving evidence and leaving tracks and leaving a path back to his house. Now, I need you to think about this for just a moment. This man was covered in horse manure. He had literally shit all over his entire body, including the bottoms of his shoes. He may have wiped them off a little bit, and some of it might have fallen off, but he should have left a path. He should have left evidence everywhere. Of course, there was footprints from the manure pile to the horse stalls, but after that, it started to fade away, and wherever and however he left the area, they would lose his tracks. Now, I need you to also think about this. The police are very intelligent people. They brought dogs in. The dogs immediately picked up on the scent of the manure and would leave the ranch. The problem was the manure masked his own scent. All they had was the manure scent. So once the manure scent would fade away or they would lose it, they couldn't pick it back up because the individual's scent was never on the scene of the crime. All they had was this overwhelming, overpowering smell of manure for the dogs to pick up on. They tried everything to get the animals to key in on some other scent, but there was no other evidence ever left at the scene that would allow them to get the dogs on to his actual human scent. So in a strange way, he was evading capture by stinking too much. Somehow, he would go to a creek, a riverbed, a parked car, something. And he always evaded capture. Maybe it was a bicycle. Maybe it wasn't a very heavy person. And when he would get on his bicycle, it didn't leave actual tracks. Maybe he only did it in rainy weather. Maybe he picked certain roads, certain farms, knowing he didn't leave a trail. It wasn't quite clear because there was dirt roads, there was gravel, and there was pavement. Maybe he went across country. They just could not figure it out. I suspected with my fresh set of eyes that this was a youth probably not a very old person a younger man probably somebody that didn't work didn't hold a regular job or had trouble holding a job he might have even been a farm hand he might have been somebody that actually worked for the ranchers for part-time work and because he was trustworthy and he would work for you know cash and then go to the next job he was dependable he was somebody you could call on he didn't fall into um, accusation or look guilty because he was somebody that the farmers had known and trusted it made sense and they had thought about that as well but nobody really turned up so we thought well let's look at it another way maybe it's somebody that doesn't know horses at all doesn't know ranches at all. This person is just stumbling into it. A youth. 
um, who is able to walk great distances at night. He doesn't work. His parents don't know he's sneaking out at night. That's how he's covering up his tracks. That's why nobody's reporting him. It's probably a loner or somebody that has the ability to do this because his family's either sleeping or they work at night. So we started looking at candidates in the area. There wasn't a clear pattern, but it was somebody local to the area. A small pattern started to reveal itself. We suspected it could be somebody from a very specific neighborhood. I don't want to give their address or the name of the area because the rest of the people there are good, hearty people and don't deserve to be blemished by this individual. We went into the neighborhood and went house to house. The questions we asked were very simple. Do you work nights? Are you, do you sleep at night? Are you a single mother, a single father? Do you have children of a certain age? And we started to find candidates. And we narrowed it down to about six potential families. And I told them what we need to do is put an officer on each one, see when they actually go to sleep, and make sure that all the lights go out and everybody goes to sleep. Because some boys will sneak out just to go have a couple of beers with the buddies or to chase a girl around the neighborhood. And they're not doing anything harmful. They're just, that's the nature of being young. So we don't want to cause too much alarm or any false arrests. We are looking for somebody with very specific behavior. It didn't take long. Two of the young men were obviously carrying on affairs with girls nearby. And one boy seemed to like sneaking out of the house to go have a few beers with his buddies. Totally harmless stuff. But then, the youth who was having the beers with his friend, instead of going home, he took a stroll alone in the dark of the moonlight towards some local farms. The officers called us and we followed them at a distance. We were able to use military night vision goggles to keep an eye on the person from almost two kilometers away. I was amazed by the technology that they had at their disposal, and we even flew a drone very far away that was able to basically track him using infrared. We made our connection. There he was. He had crossed over a fence line through the heavy grass and went into the pasture where some horses were grazing. We immediately closed in to get a closer observation. This wasn't good enough for the local police. They stepped in and they did their job with due diligence. In the darkness and very quietly in the middle of the night, they snuck up on this young man to a very close distance before they flashed a very bright light on him. You call it a torch, I think, in England, but we call it a flash light. I'm not sure what they call it in German. He was so stunned, standing there, just about ready to attack an innocent horse. He had the knife raised. It was a sight of horror, I must tell you. 
the body cameras of the officers captured the moment, and it was the most striking piece of film I have ever seen. He screamed like a demon on fire. He lurched at the horse, and the officers fired around into the sky. It was enough to scare the horse into running, and it quickly evaded his strike. As it turned, it bumped him with its hind quarters and threw him face down into the pile of manure nearby, the same pile of manure that he had earlier covered himself in. He got a taste of his own medicine, as I would put it, quite a mouthful of his own medicine, if I may be brutally honest, and it seemed to have an adverse reaction to him. I guess he lost his taste for this adventure. <laughs> the officers pulled him from the pile, and he begged them to allow him to gratify himself. He was so overwhelmed with guilt, so overwhelmed with the rapturous feelings of being covered in the manure. He couldn't stop himself. It was a grisly sight, and he was quickly handcuffed. The officers were not happy. They were literally covered in manure themselves, and I assure you, it doesn't come out of your uniform. You're better off just throwing it away. <laughs> we got him out to the fence line, and we brought cars and a paddy wagon in to haul him away. A local farmer who wanted to murder him, flat out murder him on the spot, was nice enough to send one of his hands back to get a water truck. And we used the hose from it to hose off both the officers and the young man so we could put him inside a vehicle for transport. It was more grisly than walking up on somebody eviscerated from end to end with a knife and blood everywhere. I'll tell you what, it was a disgusting crime scene, to say the least. And I'm sure we lost some evidence hosing him off, but he ain't getting in my car, as the driver said, until he's washed off. The story finally finishes where we find out that the young man had developed a strange compulsion to pleasure himself while covered in fecal matter. He couldn't tell anybody the guilt was too much, and he hid it from his family as many people do when they're burdened by a fetish. He was too too buried in it to escape it, too buried in it to control it. And he would get caught on occasion. Why are you covered in filth? Why are you covered in crap and manure and feces? And his mother would beat him. She would tell his father. And when his father came home, his father would beat him. And the abuse was real. The abuse was not mild. And the young man grew less and less tolerant to the strictness of his parents. He also felt such guilt and such anger that he started to carry out this anger and this anguish against the horses themselves. 
he found that manure piles were a quick and easy and wonderful way for him to express his fetish desires, but at the same time, the guilt and the horror that he had given into this compulsion made him so angry he couldn't control his rage and he would take it out on the horses. It was really sad and like I said it doesn't excuse his behavior but we must understand that this man couldn't ask for help and because he couldn't ask for help because he was chastised and abused and pushed further down the road towards this fetish towards these carnal desires that he had he started to act out in a very unhealthy way and he wasn't stopped from his compulsion until he was captured he confessed to everything and he begged for help I think sometimes people think these people are animals monsters demons and maybe they are. Maybe they are the worst society can produce. But they're still human beings. And they're actually pretty sad human beings. And as I said, and I will say it over and over again, it does not excuse his actions. I'm not making up a bleeding heart story for you. But to see someone in this situation finally confess, finally opening up, and begging for help. Begging for the help that he should have got when he was a little boy, when he first discovered this compulsion, this overwhelming fetish and desire. If only he had gotten help. If only he was able to open up and beg. Then, so many lives wouldn't have been damaged, so many animals wouldn't have been harmed. I think about this, and I want you to think about it too. Try not to be closed-minded. Don't pity the horse ripper and, and forgive him and exonerate him. He must do his penance. He must do the time for the crime. But think about his heart. Think about his family. Think about what he went through. For just one minute, think about how much anguish he went through as somebody completely overwhelmed by a fetish. It doesn't excuse his behavior, one iota. But it does make you think. If you know somebody who has phobias or compulsions or fetishes, and they seem overwhelming. Try to have compassion for that person. Try to help them. And by helping, it doesn't mean excuse the behavior if it's not healthy. It is help them. Get them the help they need. And what they need is professional therapy and medical attention. They don't need pity and they don't need put down, mocked or made fun of. It only makes the problem worse. I hope you enjoyed this adventure. It was based on a true story. Of course, I wasn't there when you got captured. I just made that part up.
but I thought you might enjoy a strange and creepy urban legend from a new twist. The Horse Ripper. Watch out. Keep all of your manure piles picked up and disposed of properly, or he might come and see you one night. Until we see each other again, please have a most wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Remember to stay tuned for the next episode, coming soon. When you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review this podcast. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.